Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today we're with Michael, our resident physiologist, Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and I am Matt Till. Hey everyone, it is great to be with you again on the Ephesiology Podcast. Hello, yes, gentlemen. Yes, it is. I was so waiting for a round of applause there, and it didn't happen. I, I mean, he missed the opportunity, Matt. We get, no. we get Andrew a new toy, and he can't even play with it. Yep. He's not well, he's, doing it. he's going to be smart enough and not play with it and have it fail when it counts. He's he's withholding. <laughs> he's he's just holding back a little bit. He's just playing nice, you know. That's what it is. So, yeah, yeah. yeah we're trying out a new uh, new studio tool here for us for our live recordings, and uh, boy, we just hope this turns out, huh? That's the that's always the prayer. <laughs> that that certainly is. Uh, so we've been uh, in a series uh, talking about uh, theological education, education in the church, outside of the church, uh, the future of Christianity and the future of the church um, and its missional movement around the world. Um, and uh, we're kind of wrapping up that series a little bit today uh, with a little bit of a recap. Uh, why don't we kind of get caught up a little bit? Michael, how about you start us off here and kind of catch our, catch our listeners up as to where we've been and uh, kind of the, the last few conversations we've been at. Yeah, well, you know, a couple of things struck me over the past three uh, podcasts that we've done, and uh, one of those was something that Dr. Maynard had referred to uh, when he was on his personal retreat. Do you remember he talked about the research or a survey that had been done uh, asking pastors about that whether or not you know the content that they're they're getting is connecting with the the people in the pew and their frustration because it doesn't feel like it's connecting and then the uh the opposite end of that where the people in the pew want more and they're not seeming to get that more and uh that struck me and especially because just last week at some point I don't I guess I could look at the date of this uh, Lifeway Research uh, and uh, uh, Aaron Earls published an article uh, May 10th, 10th about what what are the things that are stressing out pastors. And uh, it, it was it's an interesting article because it is just interviewing pastors and getting their perspective. And the top uh, issue that is stressing out pastors is the apparent apathy of people in the pews and their lack of commitment. Seven, according to the, the article, uh, 75%, it looks like, of pastors are frustrated by what they view as people who are apathetic. And I remember reading that thinking, wow, I mean, if that's true, if that's the perception of pastors... I wonder what the perception of people uh, in the pews are of whether or not <laughs> that they're was just giving my question. Yeah, that's yeah. What the, the right <laughs> question. <laughs> Do the people in the pews feel apathetic? Do seventy-five percent people feel like they themselves are apathetic, or what do they feel about their own pastor? Is my question. Did somebody do the other yep. side of the study? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and that's that's what's interesting, and it it um, it just it struck me, especially because we've been talking about theological education and its role in the church. That a survey like this is just verifying, confirming what we've been talking about. That there there are gaps, and there are places where the congregation is missing what the pastor is saying, and places where the pastor is missing what the congregation is saying. Um, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a uh, fellow on, a couple people on, that were a part of this recent Barna survey on the Great Commission. And, uh, and we're going to see the same thing. There's a disconnect, it seems, for, between the pulpit and the pew. And um, I, I mean, I just find that striking. Uh, because, I mean, these aren't new things. We, I, we've been talking about these for the since the inception of the podcast, I think. Um, but what do we do? How do we how do we bridge that gap between the pulpit and the pew? And uh, and what are some of the resources that might be available for the church to help bridge that gap? That desire of those in the pew to really go deeply into uh, the study of God's Word and and the desire of the pastor to see their people more involved in in the life of the church. Sounds like there's a huge question here about engagement or yes. expectations, right? Absolutely. Like, what are the expectations, Andrew, right? Like, this is when, Michael, when you first surfaced this uh, study and you were just like, isn't this amazing? Again, as the guy who is, that is my job right now as pastor, I read that and it says, all, all these people are just, uh, as pastors, are just frustrated. First of all, what a strong word. But secondly, uh, are frustrated at the lack of engagement uh, from their own people. And I just thought, I think, I'm not throwing my brothers under the bus here, or sisters. But I'm just saying, sometimes, as pastors, we get into ruts about what we think successful or good ministry looks like. We get into a rut on what we think successful and good sermons look like. And when we get in that rut, we're going to continue to walk in that way. And so oftentimes, if what we see are, are, is a glaze over the eyes of our people, if we see that people just aren't doing everything that we want them to, um, we might get frustrated feeling that people are not engaged. But I think at some point we need to slow down and ask are we actually giving people what they are mm -hmm. needing right now in this season? Or are we convinced that what we are bringing to them is, uh, is, is a word from the Lord from the top of Mount Zion and that people must listen to us or they're the problem? Because I tend to think that's a very elevated set of thoughts. And we need to be humbled a little bit more and say, what do our people need right now? Where, where are their hearts? What is the Lord wanting to do in them and take them towards? Um, a side note, when I got employed here at Neartown Church, I, I mean, I still think I'm probably high-minded and an idealist uh, now, right? So it hasn't been crushed entirely. But I came in, I came in hot. I had all these ideas about what we should do, about where the church should go, and 
I thought I knew exactly what needed to happen. And so Russell, uh, my boss and friend, he was gracious enough to say, yeah, you know, run with that. Try to try to do that program. Try to do that class. Try to do that thing. And um, man, there were so many things that crashed and burned so fast and so hard when I started at Neartown. And then I had that same attitude. What is with these people? What is going on? Why don't they want these great ideas that I am bringing to uh, these great ideas that I am bringing to everybody? And um, after a little bit of humble pie, I realized I was doing all the talking and not doing any of the listening. I wasn't actually hearing where people were and, and what their concerns were and and actually getting to know them and their needs so that I could bring them something that actually still guided them towards the king, guided them towards an, a life on mission, uh, being faithful Christians, uh, I had I just didn't take any steps to listen. So I think this was a very large rant to say, it seems to me that uh, it seems like a whole bunch of pastors need to do a whole lot of listening, uh, yeah. an increased amount of listening uh, than they are right now. It, I, it does beg to ask the question, what are the expectations that the pastor, the leadership have of the congregants? And then what does the congregant, the member, the attender have of the organization, the church, and why they're there in the first place? There mm. seems to be a growing disconnect there. And I don't, I don't want to read too much into this, but interestingly enough, I'm not looking at the survey. I'm looking at the, the article here. And it's the question was posed to pastors of various denominational backgrounds. The aggregate, which people dynamics at church are challenging to pastors? By far, the, the highest amount is what we're, we're talking about here, and that is people's apathy or a lack of commitment. Again, this is the pastor's perception. 75% said this is the top issue, and that is by far the next one. The next closest thing is 48%, and it's wow. just people and, uh, for, in the next topic. So the aggregate is 75%. But when you look at the denominational breakdown, mm. I don't want to read too much into this, but this but we're is going very fat. We're going to look in this. <laughs> if you're a Baptist, you by far have the highest percentage of this is your top issue. 79% of Baptist pastors said this is the problem. is people's apathy or lack of commitment. Non-denominational, mm. a very close second. Congratulations, mm. you non-denoms. 78%. And if you're Pentecostal, a close photo finish for third at 77%, okay? Now, who's trailing it up the rear? The Lutherans at 40% and Methodists at 38% seem to be like, yeah, this is an issue for me, but clearly not a significant issue that I'm worried about people's engagement, commitment, or their apathy towards my organization now i don't i don't know what what's behind that like what that is interesting to me don't you think that the highly evangelical side i mean if you're baptist non-denominational or pentecostal you are pretty much for the most part generalized as evangelical but yet at the other side of the spectrum lutheran which i know there are lutheran evangelicals um and methodist but generally lutheran and methodist being more the you know, Mainline. Protestant, yeah. you know, longer standing denomination, you know, denominations here, like you're less, you're less concerned about this. What's up with that? Yeah. Yeah. And it, we have to be I careful not to, to read uh, people who are not employed. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know I don't want to read too much into that, but like, you know, I also, but you know, like the the one place my mind goes is like, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, theological education of the church and our people, what is it that people are really looking for, you know, and uh, out of their faith and, um, and, and those, and then of course, looking at like, why are, why are these particular denominations seem to be the most concerned, uh, versus Mm -hmm. the others, um, you know, one place I, I, my mind goes to a couple different locations. I don't know if I should bother to say it, but, um, I just think it's really interesting. Like that's, no, that say is, it. please. I, I have to wonder, does funding come into mind here? Oh, go because, on. because, because these organizations, the ones that expressed the highest concern about people's engagement they're funded by their local congregation solely versus if you tend to be in a Lutheran or Methodist denomination, your congregation, yes, funds your organization and funds your ministry, but it is not the sole place because you actually have a larger denomination. You have larger, um, uh, synods and groups. And, um, uh, and so like there, there seems there's like a cost sharing that occurs. And so that, if you're a Methodist pastor, you may be assigned to a particular church, but your your paycheck is not paid by that church necessarily. Mm-hmm. I understand like that's not in every case, but most cases that's that's not the case. Um, you're paid by the denomination, um, and so I just kind of wonder if there's a funding capacity here, a funding issue where now we're in economic strain. Congregation sizes are shrinking. Um, you know, uh, is that a part? Is that part of the equation in this? I don't know, but that's yeah, just what? one place where I kind of theorize and go. I'd love to see some data on that and test that theory. Sure. Well, I'm sure there are multiple factors, <clears throat> and I think of the Josh Packard study that we've talked about in the past that seems to indicate something similar, um, except on the, the other side. What, they, what that study is suggesting is that people in the congregation really want to be more involved, but they don't want to be involved in the things that the church is saying, here, we, we need you to volunteer for this or that. They, they want to be actively involved in issues and engaging uh, th- those issues, uh, rather than, you know, volunteering for collecting the garbage around church or vacuuming the worship center or, you know, those things that are necessary in, in, um, in some churches. And so, yeah, so I think there are going to be multiple factors here. Um, but what I find interesting, I, I suppose about this is, boy, is that what my pastor thinks of me? Um, and I sure hope not. Uh, but if if the evangelical churches are leading the way in terms of pastors, there's a three and four chance that he that he or she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's there's a three and four that, chance that they are. Yeah, that's troublesome to me. Um, uh, so I I I mean I get the survey. I'm uh, appreciative of the research that's gone behind it. Uh, I don't like what it's telling me about how a pastor is perceiving the church, um, the people in the church. We can do another survey where the 
people in the church are going to have not so, such a high perception of the pastor. And in fact, we've seen those over the years, the, the trust level of pastors and congregants, uh, between pastors and congregants have gone down uh, to where now, you know, the pastor is about as trusted as a car salesman. So, so they, I mean, there are all of these issues that we see going on in, in the church that just are not productive. And, um, and I think it does come down, Andrew, to what you were saying. We need to listen. We need to be better listeners to each other. In fact, while you were talking, um, I uh, thought of the story of the monkey and the fish. It's one of my favorite stories because I think it applies to nearly every area of life. And uh, so the story goes that there was a a monkey that lived on a deserted island with a palm tree. And the monkey loved running up and down that palm tree and swinging around and just had the time of his life on his own little deserted island until one day a storm brew up. And the waves were crashing onto his little beach, and the palm tree was blowing back and forth. And all of a sudden, a fish was thrown up onto the beach. And the monkey saw it from uh, hanging uh, high up in his palm tree. He saw this fish just flap, flopping on the beach. And out of deep concern and out of tremendous courage, he came down out of the safety of his tree to help that poor fish. And so he picked up the fish, and the fish continued to flop in his hand, and the monkey uh, proceeded to caress the fish until the fish was nice and peaceful and quiet, lying at rest in the palm of the monkey's hand. And so the monkey laid the fish back down on the beach, scurried back up into the safety of his tree, and he knew he had done something to help another creature. Except he killed it. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like exactly. Yeah. Well, but his perception <laughs> was his perception was that he helped it. So the monkey, thinking from his own frame of reference, that boy, if I want somebody, if I want to help somebody, they must need the help that I can give them, as I would want myself to be helped, rather than thinking of the context of the other. Uh, the monkey, just out of the goodness of his heart, wanted to help, and but he did not understand the fish's context. And so out of his desire to help in a way that he thought was going to be helpful, he ended up killing the fish. And I wonder sometimes if that occurs more I, often than I love this think. story. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it applies. It, I mean, it, I've thought about this in marriage, in raising our children. In missions, in social ethics, actually, I, uh, last March when I was in India, was invited to give a lecture on social ethics to a group of agriculture students at a university. And that's the story I told. I said, if you get this right, you will understand social ethics. If, if we are going to help other people, we've got to understand their context and, uh, and what they're dealing with. And so I wonder in the case of, you know, a survey like this, and Andrew, in light of what you said, that pastors really need to do a better job listening to the hearts of their people. And, uh, and if they do that, 
And if what we're seeing in a study like what Packard uh, did a couple years ago, that that church members, they want to be engaged. Uh, the millennial, the Gen X, the Gen Z, they want to be involved in issues that have consequence. And uh, and if we could hear that then and and not try to help them from our own perspective of, you know, creating these volunteer opportunities that we feel like that they need to be a part of, but really listening to what their heart is and where their passions are so that then we can empower them to do those things. I, I just think that, that that's so important for the health and the longevity of, of the church. I think that what you're talking about, Michael, what comes to mind um, first on that and that point, I think sometimes we do too much to bring what we think is God's word. Well, it is God's word. I'm not casting shade on that. What I'm saying is what we haven't really done is help make the connection between the goodness of God's word and the truth revealed in scripture and the actions in the everyday lives of all of us as believers. And so what happens is there's that disconnect. And because we haven't made that connection, then people who are coming and do want to get engaged don't understand how is what you are telling me on a Sunday morning making any sort of difference how I get involved, how I serve the world. Uh, and then when we do use such uh, uh, loaded words as serving, we're going to talk on a church focus like Packard was talking about about how you can serve your church on a Sunday mm -hmm. morning on a team, right? Like that's the extent of how we talk about service because we think as leaders, our people don't want to hear about service too much. And so if we, if we only have one shot to talk about service, we can't waste it. So we've got to talk about serving on a Sunday team. Uh, and we think that's what we need as a church, right? It's that's that institutional thinking about how to, how to keep things going. I think we can do so much better talking to our people, understanding that context, where they are and helping them see spending intentional time during that sermon prep, not just to say, did I rightly parse this passage? Did I rightly get at the truth? But how does that truth help people where God has called them to take further steps to engage on his mission, to, to be a part of his kingdom work wherever he has sent them. And I think this is something I was, uh, I was thinking about earlier, but, but the, the tie into it for me is pastors and, and people, at least in the way we're talking about it, they have a divide or rather they see themselves as having a divide and pastors don't see themselves on common ground with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They see themselves as set apart or other than in trying to communicate something from a different place uh, to where quote unquote they are, right? But if pastors see themselves as brothers and sisters with other Christians who are on common ground, but this is the way that they are living out their call in God's kingdom, that the, the perspective shift is everything. Because if you're, saying, Hey, I'm with you. We're arm in arm in this. And I'm just playing my part. Then I think that is a huge change. Um, which then leads to pastors can't see their role primarily as somebody sitting behind a computer for most of the week 
and then coming in on Sunday to deliver what they've typed out. Uh, instead of I am alongside of you, I am with you on mission and we are doing this together. We are seeking to see God's kingdom raised up everywhere. I think if there's an alongside nature, um, that's embraced, uh, by more and more, um, and not setting the bar too high. I, I think, um, I wonder if that amount of frustration or disappointment from pastors across all denominations, but primarily within those evangelical denominations. Um, I wonder if it's just because we set the bar too high. We, uh, we, we expect way too much. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm. I'm going to venture to say that no, uh, it, that's not the issue. The issue is that we're using the wrong bar. Um, it, I think that's more the issue. We're using our bar rather than the fish's bar, uh, and we want to shift that to use the fish's bar. Let's listen. Let's see where people are passionate. Let's do all that we can to empower them. I mean, that's the role of the church, uh, is to empower the saints for ministry. And, uh, and if we're expecting them to conform to us, then I, I really think that we've missed uh, the idea of what the church is. And in some, at, at some level, that's what we've been talking about. Um, and that's why we wanted to talk about the theological education in the context of the church, because, you know, the reality is, that we spend uh, that maybe two percent of our week connected to the church, uh, whether it's attending a service, which uh, I think the average is something like maybe twice a month, one point five times a month, we're actually in Sunday service, or uh, participating in a small group Bible study. It's about two percent of our week. Most of our time is spent at work. And then uh, the rest of our time is spent at home with our families and our leisure time and, and so forth. And so if we're only if we're saying that the influence of the church is only on two percent of our life, then th there's an issue. And so how do we then help the, the universal church, the collective body of Christ that is more than that which meets on Sunday morning, really to engage uh, in the leisure areas, in the family areas, in the work areas, as well as in the gathering uh, on Sunday. And I think that's that's where we have to move the bar, is uh, in there, in, in that place, because that's where people are. People are in places where they can engage with others. They want to know how to effectively do that. And somehow the structure that we have set up today isn't able to help people to connect uh, all of those parts of their lives together so that they see that being the church isn't just a Sunday morning experience, but it's a Monday through Sunday experience. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. So I have a confession. Uh oh. I'm not going to put a sound effect in, but oh, I, I do. I'm really, really excited to hear this confession. What sound effect would you have put in? So if, if Lifeway were to have. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> a drum roll. Right. Oh, like, okay. like that the pregnant pause. No, just a, just a pregnant pause. Like, we, we can't wait to hear. Um, 
Yeah, so here's my confession. If Lifeway would have done this survey a couple years ago when I was in active pastoral ministry um, as a non-denominational pastor and would have asked this question to me, I would have been in the 75 percentile of my view of my congregation, hands down. Hmm. Um, and my confession is that for far too long in ministry, um, I pursued my leadership and my view of the church as an entrepreneurial, um, tainted endeavor shrouded in kingdom ideology. And while intentions were pure and good in my view and in the view of others, it was about growth. It was always about growth. It was always about get more people in and engaged. Um, because nothing could be done apart from funding and people and capacity and maximum engagement to do the things that we felt like we were hoping to do for the community all in the name of the Lord. And one could argue, well, you were simply trying to serve the Lord and you need people to do those things. So there's nothing wrong with that. And you would be correct. Um, but I know deep down that my view of those who were attending and listening and participating, um, was low because I didn't feel you were engaged enough. Now, if it was, if you think for a second, it was cold and heartless, you'd be wrong because it wasn't because I was torn and eating up inside because that was one side of me. The other side didn't care about any of that. Mm-hmm. The other side of me, almost like a bipolar kind of view. And I understand that's a real condition, but I'm just kind of using it as, a, as an example. But like the other side to me was, I don't care about the growth. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the income. I just want to teach and lead and, and help people. And the two, at the end of the day, in the capacity as like a church planter, as a leader in the formula and the methodologies that we had at the time were incompatible. Um, and they were, they were constantly at odds with each other. And those of you who've been in ministry for a long time have had to figure out a way to reconcile that yourself. And for some of you, the issues are not as prevalent. Uh, they're easy to kind of just move on from. While others are like, you deal with it every single day. You're wondering how are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to pay your own family bills? How are you going to get your kids through college? How are you going to have the doors open? How is the building going to get repaired? Um, those kind of things. How are we going to meet payroll, right? Uh, while others are working in really wealthy communities and it's like, well, I'm dealing with the other spiritual issues. So this is not as much of a concern, but I want to keep my programs running. Cause that's what people keep. That's what people keep coming for my programs. I'm telling you what, for me, like being burned out on all of that 
drove me to a place of absolute just despair and going like, I'm done. I cannot do this anymore. And this is me personally. So I recognize I don't want to project this on everyone else. But I know when I was thinking, I know I got to the point where I was definitely solid in that 75% camp of those who looked down on their congregation. And I knew that they began to look at numbers to me. I knew I was done. I knew I had to be done. I knew I had to walk away because this was unfair to them. And it was distorting and disturbing to me. And so that's what I did. I walked away. And um, I don't, I don't regret that and I don't miss that because it's the thing of like, I needed to, we needed to figure out a new way forward and understanding that this is a sour place to be at and how dehumanizing it is for myself as the leader, but also to those who are entrusting their lives, their money, their time, their resources into something that they believe in and that, excuse me, and that they think you believe in. And, um, how unfair it is. Um, and instead it has brought me onto a pathway of finding the transcendent power of God and his beauty in all of life and looking for new metrics that make sense Mm -hmm. and realizing that I can't change people from the outside. I can't change them with programs. I can't entice them with programs and more things to do. But rather, it's what we've been talking about here. What is it that people are looking for? What is it that they're coming to faith for? Um, What is it that they're on this search and hunger for God for? There's not enough apologetic courses and and, uh, and arguments in the world that would convince somebody. um, Versus they're going to discover this God or they're not. And are we going to be ready to receive them and walk through life with them and teach them? And that's why I really enjoy my work right now with the seminary because it's upstream activism. It's upstream education. And now everyone's going to, who's in their pastoral ministry is like, hey, I'm going to flock back to the seminaries that are closing their doors, by the way. So don't <laughs> do that. But um, the it might be a, a place for us to rethink mission and strategy And even there, I'm falling back into entrepreneurialism. But perhaps for us to rethink metric, perhaps for us to rethink purpose and calling and go, this seems to me that maybe this is the place that maybe it is in fact being the steady hand and not riding the waves of the cultural pop culture, what's hot now today get people in my door, build the biggest, greatest looking program. Because that seems to have not, have not only not worked very well, but it seems to be failing and has only created further frustration and discord and unhealth. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe we just need to be helping people see the transcendent goodness of God as the world continues to change and evolve around us. And maybe we've forgotten that. Maybe we've forgotten that truth and maybe we have forgotten that purpose and that mission and what's written in those scriptures um, as the world changes around us rather than trying to change the world to us. Maybe we've forgotten our own story and our own place in the world. 
those are some of my current thinkings on this and that's it's a bit unprocessed and i'm processing a bit of it out loud right now which is a dangerous thing to do I but the confession it. is real and yeah. and i and i i know that about myself and that that's where i am yeah i i appreciate that matt well, thank I, you for putting your heart out there <clears throat> on a recorded spot um yeah. i think I think one of the things that you're hitting on is at least in the conversation as that, as that entrepreneurial uh, drive that you have. Um, so many of us were raised in attractional models and then we took off to go get involved somewhere else. And we loved it thinking, finally, we're a part of something that's not driven by the attractional model only to realize it still absolutely was it just wore some different clothing and the building size that it said it wanted to be a part of was smaller. I'm going to but do it, it better. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. still the attractional model and everything that you're talking about, both through the theological education upstream activism that you're involved in now at Knox, um, as well as so many things that we're saying is it's not, how do we, uh, get people to come to us? <laughs> Uh, but how do we bring that goodness of God that we have seen and that we have been adopted into? And how do we just bring that to people where they are? So it's not all about uh, come and see. Jesus asked that. <laughs> we should just go. Just go. And when we go, when we say come and see, I, I, I hope that we're saying come and see that Jesus is wonderful. Um that he is good, that he is transcendent. And let's do this together. Um, going to where people are seems to be not only what we were called to, uh, but the only way this is going to continue to move forward healthily. Yeah, I a hundred percent. I think that shift has to take place, but you think about the system that we have now and, and, uh, and if we define church by, you know, the things that are associated with Sunday morning, then, I mean, we're not there. We're not set up in that way to actually go. In fact, I was talking with a friend the other day, and he made this comment. He said, we are asking people to make the missional move to us. And uh, and what he meant by that is that we're still very much in an attractional focus. We want people to come to us, to adapt to us, rather than us going to them and adapting to them. And so I think a part of the solution to this is reconceptualizing the church, or maybe not reconceptualizing, but let's have a, uh, a more biblical, complete, comprehensive view of what the church is. Because the reality is that what we do on Sunday mornings is just a shadow of the whole church. Um, in uh, Catholic ecclesiology, uh, they talk about, and, and we've adopted this language too, even in Protestant ecclesiology, we talk about sodalities. A sodality being, you know, a group of people that have a common identity, uh, a common mission, uh, purpose, and so forth, that is um, a, a part of the church, but it's not the whole church because it's it just represents a microcosm of of the church, and that's I think in large part what we see on Sunday mornings is that we have all of these different sodalities, you know, uh, spread out across the United States, some three hundred thousand of them, 
that all have their own vision, have their own mission, have their own groups of people that they are attracting that are like them, that are adapting to that sodality because that's what they want. And and so then what we have to do is uh, add to that additional sodalities. We need sodalities that are much more catalytic, that are apostolic and evangelistic in nature, that are going to reach out. And But we also need uh, sodalities that are analytic, that are more prophetic and teaching-oriented, that's going to build deeply in the church and uh, and help the church understand the cultural issues and, and how to defend the faith in the midst of the issues that we see in society. And I think when we bring all three of those types of sodalities together, it's there that we have the modality of the universal church in her completeness, in her fullness, uh, because there we have mission we have theology and we have worship all together uh, focusing on what God's uh, plan is to unite all things in Christ. And Michael, while you're speaking kind of in the <clears throat> theoretical and theological frameworks, uh, which I think are helpful, um, I think if we just look at the practical, I think the people have already told us. It's no surprise that the evangelical pastors, Baptist, non-denominational, Pentecostals, are the ones who are freaked out the most by survey as to a lack of engagement, which means they're the ones who've seen the greatest losses of people who are attending their churches um, over the last decade. Um, it, th this, is, this is crisis moment, <laughs> you know, based on what it is that they previously built. And people have already said, they've walked out. They're like, I'm, I'm done here. We need something else. And I think it speaks to how often our authority structures and our leadership has been in these circles, dare I say, a bit like the monkey. unkind or not thoughtful of... The monkey, yes, you know what I mean. It's it's like or the fish. Like we're we're not we're not actually thinking about the individual and watching where are people being, where are they going, how are they leading out. You know, I mean, for years people are finding greater church experiences in their CrossFit gyms. Um, mm -hmm. I, you cannot deny the relationships, and you cannot deny the good things that happen there, um, and and the, the the quality time and relationships and friendships that are taking place in these spaces. Um, and dare I say, even the spiritual conversations that can that can form, and yeah. um, and so and I should <laughs> and correct exactly. And so I think if we just looked at from a real perspective of if we began to think of other people as having something really significant to contribute to us. Um, I think we have a pretty big pride issue within mm. church leadership that suddenly this is crazy, you know, and, and this does go back to our conversation with, with, uh, you know, Scott Maynard, uh, president of Knox, uh, who's my friend, but also my, my employer. <laughs> but like, honestly, like I really appreciate him because he truly approaches the seminary not as from an elitist standpoint. And part of that is just in the culture of what we do at Knox is it just hasn't really been that way. 
Um, it may have begun that way, but it definitely is not that institution. Um, as others, uh, more elite seminary institutions are shutting their doors, relocating, uh, cutting staff. We, we are, we, we have, we don't, we have a high view of the pastoral office, but we do not exalt that above any other view. So if you are a banker and you're like, I want to learn more about God's words so that I can just be better about articulating my faith. And I want to get my master's of divinity because it's something I've always wanted to do, but I don't have any intention of leaving my job. We absolutely celebrate that and have a place for you in this. Mm -hmm. And we make it possible for you to attend seminary with the person who wants to go into some sort of pastoral ministry or, you know, and we don't look at one as being a higher calling over the other. And I well, hate, I hate how much what you are saying. Uh, Greg said the same thing uh, last week when we talked with him about yeah. Kairos. I hate that what you're saying sounds like it's really revolutionary. Right. Like, yeah. Wow. What a shock. Isn't really? this amazing that yeah. bankers and plumbers can study alongside pastors <laughs> and they can pursue God yeah. in this deeper way, too. And like we feel like we're blowing the doors off and people are going to go, wow, that's amazing. That but, should not be amazing. But but we do know. And let's let's just turn the let's just flip the coin over on the other side. We do know that the congregation and members in the congregation have elevated the pastoral role and the pastoral role, whether you're a pastor, a minister, a priest, a bishop, wherever you are, however you serve has been elevated as being almost a public as a public intellectual, as someone who has had some sort of great status in your community. And historically that was probably, that was true for many communities and many areas of the world, including in the United States for quite some time, but has not been so recently. And so, I mean, I remember having a conversation with a family member when I was saying, I'm kind of, you know, I'm stepping out of pastoral ministry. I'm going to look into something else. And that family member looked at me and goes, what else are you going to do when you're doing like the highest calling you could possibly do? Now it's a family member who doesn't even go to church. Okay. But that person has a perception of the role and it feeds the ego in a way that actually can be a bit unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, well, I, that's right. I was, I was like the president of the United States for crying out loud. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, now what am I going to do with my life? You know, um, I, you know, you can kind of get in that, in that headspace and, it, and you're in that environment. We have this, and it's it just, we're human. It, we're, it, we're broken in that way. And we just tend to feed off of those things. And I, we, we need a new level. We need a new field. We need a new level playing field. I think, um, I think it's, it's happening to us and those who are taking it the hardest are going to struggle the most. Um, and, and I think though, it doesn't negate the idea that people want to learn. People want to study. They want to understand these scriptures and they want to know if it's true or not. Um, and I think that's good. We, we need to find ways of continuing to, to, to share, to share hope and to share this, um, you know, our historical faith. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree, <clears throat> but you have to add to that, the missional aspect of it as well, because it's, you know, if we just, if we just, uh, add that one component, the, the education, theological education, that helping people to go more deeply in scripture and, and grow in their faith along with whatever we do on Sundays. It's a one way individual street. Yeah, yeah, and so we've we've got to those the purpose of those have got to be outward focused, 
Um, and uh, and so the you know you made mention of I think Andrew you said of uh, or maybe Matt said about the CrossFit uh, rage and and people going there and finding a, a place of community. The, the danger in thinking about that in relationship to the church is that I mean I could just hear a hundred pastors saying oh let's do CrossFit at our church and I would be saying no. Send your people to do CrossFit. That's where you want to be outward focused, not inward focused. And uh, and so all of those have to fire together in order for us really to be uh, an expression of the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah. I love how you just called it the CrossFit rage, by the way. It makes you sound really old and cankerous. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can hear it from here. <laughs> I am old and cancer. This, this newfangled <laughs> CrossFit rage, rage. When, it, when it passes by and people get back to doing normal workout stuff. <laughs> it's just one of those young kid fads. That's all yeah. it is. It'll pass when their <laughs> knees give out. <laughs> Michael, we love you. I can tell. <laughs> we love you. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, thanks guys so much for this great conversation. Uh, thanks for allowing me to, to, to get vulnerable with you and uh, our audience as well, too. Um, don't have always too many opportunities to do that. But um, that's what I think naturally occurs when we start to do theology and community and we make it personal. Thanks, man. Appreciate yep. you. Amen. And I appreciate you. Well, uh, folks, uh, keep on learning. Keep on opening up those books and uh, go to seminary for crying out loud if you haven't done it. It's amazing. It'll change your life really well. And don't listen to those who think it's a place that your faith goes to die. It's actually a place in which your faith expands and grows and you get in, you encounter ideas that you've never had to wrestle with before. And find me somebody that thinks that's a bad idea and, um, I, I think you'll you will benefit greatly from it. And it doesn't matter who you are and where you are in life. Um, it is worth doing. And you can do so at Ephesiology Masterclasses. Log on to the <laughs> Ephesiology.com <laughs> There he goes. Oh, look at that. And that's a great place to start is to, yeah, it's exactly, to go to the Ephesiology Masterclasses and check those out. Um, well, with that, let's close this thing out. Um, and to our audience, thanks so much for joining us for this, uh, again, uh, great conversation today. Thanks for doing Theology in Community with us here on the Ephesiology Podcast. And we are so glad that you are part of the growing Ephesiology global community. Learn more about Ephesiology. Get access to resources um, for you, your church, and your leadership teams at Ephesiology.com, including access to the master classes. So for Michael, Andrew, and myself... We'll talk again right here on the Ephesiology Podcast.